when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but, uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Oh, man, I just got off the line here with Chris Lee of Vandy Sports, dropping mm. some knowledge on the Commodore. So I'm really excited to share this info with the listeners here we've been we've had Vanderbilt fans getting on us man talk more about uh, <laughs> coach Lee and his staff and all that so happy to do that but uh, besides that brother I'm snowed in up here in Nashville how about you <laughs> oh man I'm looking at all of them even LSU got snow down there and ice and and uh here I am in East Tennessee we ain't got anything but rain all day it seems like it rains every freaking day up here so uh, I, I hate it. I hope everybody's safe out there. I hope the, you know, if you didn't have to go anywhere, you got to stay there at the house. So maybe, maybe a couple of folks gonna be catching up to a few of these pods this week, Mike. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, hey, you know our buddy Gus Malzahn. He's no longer in the SEC, Shane. <laughs> he's landed at UCF, the quote-unquote national champions of 2017. <laughs> Insert all the jokes you want, but, uh, you know, I don't want to spiel here a long time on UCF because who really cares about that, but it is Gus Malzahn, long time in the SEC. He's got ties to multiple SEC programs, and I did want to share one little clip here, Shane. Gus, during his intro presser, was asked about the pressure cooker of UCF. You've dealt with fanatic fans, obviously, at Auburn, but do you have a, a good grasp of the pressure cooker you're walking into here? You know, I, I, I lo- do I? I mean, I love, I love expectations. I mean, I'm a dreamer. I mean, I want our players to dream. I want our fans to dream. And when you put expectations, I mean, that's the fun part. I don't want a job that doesn't have expectations to win a championship. That's not me. And I love the fact that kind of like I said, the foundation's built. There's been some really good success. 
and it just needs to be kind of that next step in that consistency, and that's what I'm here for. Oh, my God, Shane. I mean, can you imagine the balls on this UCF guy asking this question? I mean, is he just oblivious to the last decade of being in the SEC here? I mean, if, if I had to name one school that is a quote-unquote pressure cooker in the SEC – I mean, Auburn's got to be at the top of your list, don't you think? The, the whole, I mean, good for starters. Okay, I want to say this about Gus Malzahn because I have I have been on the the opposite end of the spectrum. There's an article that came out earlier this week about like I'm sorry about Lyle Jones. <laughs> sorry that the f bomb seems to come out when I talk <laughs> about Coach Jones, but uh, you know here he went down there, he hid it behind the. Uh, Nick Saban for a few years, just milk Tennessee dry. And, you know, kudos to Gus getting out there and finding a job, not just any job. Uh, I, UCF is a good job. It led to a an SEC position here in, in Knoxville, Tennessee with uh, with the hype train. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's a good position. And Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. I mean, it's it's a good stepping stone. This is a great spot for him. Kudos for him for not hiding. Just getting out there, putting his big boy pants on, and getting a damn job. So, you know, I, I think it's hilarious that they're asking about the pressure cooker because he was under the most pressure the last several seasons. Anything that could slightly go wrong down there in the plains, it was, oh, he's on the hot seat again, you know. So Gus has been on the hot seat. He He's going to be able to handle UCF and what they throw down there. But I have to mention, our boy, Jeremy Moore, sent us a damn picture of him getting knighted by the mascot. Did you see that? Yeah, so for anybody that missed it here, the the mascot for UCF does a little, I don't know what in the hell you'd call it, knighting, I guess. You you do the sword (laughs) on the shoulders, and then you rise, Mm -hmm. and you give him a damn sword. But it looked uh, uncomfortable as as all get out to me. I felt, I mean, that's like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, that felt so, I felt bad for him. There he is sitting on his knee, getting knighted by a plastic sword. And you know, in the back of his mind, he's just like, oh my God, I have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but again, I, I, I give him a hard time. Kudos to, to Gus getting up there, getting a the damn job. Uh, not just sitting back there and letting this thing, you know, because he could have. He could have sat on that front porch and just cashed them Auburn checks, but he didn't. He went out there and got a damn job, so I, kudos to him. And one last thing on Gus Malzahn. I wanted to make this point, Shane. I wrote about it, but I saw a lot of people saying, well, hell, UCF just hired a better coach in Tennessee, and Tennessee hired oh. the UCF coach. That mm-hmm. Dan Wolken was among <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Dan Wolkin was among those touting that take, but I don't agree with that 100%. Now, you want to look at the two guys' resume? Yes, of course. Gus Malzahn, he's led a team as an offensive coordinator to a national championship, led Auburn to a couple SEC title appearances, one title win, and a national championship appearance as a head coach. The guy has got a strong track record, and I echo everything you just said. I think he's a great hire for UCF. I think he'll do some good stuff down there. But that would have been a horrible hire by Tennessee because Mm -hmm. what's the damn thing we've been saying all season? College football has become an offensive sport more so than ever. 
And anybody that you know, you've been listening to this show, you've been following the SEC, Auburn's offense has been stuck in the mud for year after year after year. And they bring in this five-star Bo Nix. Never goes anywhere with them, you know? Mm-mm. Jarrett Stidham, he's a touted quarterback. Once he hit the NFL circles, the Patriots drafted him. The big knock on him, never developed at Auburn. Yeah. Jeremy Johnson, preseason SEC player of the year talk, complete bust. I mean, he cannot develop a quarterback to save his life. The offensive line is an issue seemingly every year. A couple of years ago, they had a, a, basically an entire senior offensive line. You said, well, hell, this has got to be a strength, right? No, not even those guys can get it done. I mean, it was just one issue after another with that offense. And it, if Tennessee would have hired Gus Malzahn, it may have looked like a good hire on paper. And I'm not sitting here saying Josh Heupel is some incredible coach, but you got to go with the coach that knows offense, compare their numbers. It's not even comparable the last couple of years when you talk about which offense is running at an elite level and which one is middle of the road. And one of them's got an incredible track record developing quarterbacks and it ain't Gus Malzahn. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just got, I got fired up thinking about that. I think that's a stupid ass take. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm right there with you, Mike. I mean, Gus had an opportunity. It wasn't like he didn't have talent down there in Auburn. And everybody talks about, oh, man, you know, but he's beat Nick Saban. You know, it's like, yeah, from a miracle and without a quarterback. I mean, there's – I'm not I'm not saying that, that that should not be looked at as impressive victories because it is. You look at what Nick Saban's been able to do. But, you know, it's, it's this is 2021, man. We've we, we got to go against the grain. We need something different. Gus, Gus showed us what he can do in the SEC, and it's not – it's not religiously compete for national championships with a, a team like Auburn is expected to do. So why, why do we think that he would have been better at Tennessee? I like the Hypo hire and I hate to keep going back to Tennessee, but, but that's, that's what everybody's saying. Everybody's comparing him and, 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 and Gus Malzahn and they're two different animals. Tennessee can't go toe to toe with teams like Georgia, Florida, and, Alabama, they've got to do something different. And that's exactly what Hopel does provide for the program. All right, Shane, you ready to uh, hop around the league? Just got a couple quick hitters before we get to our interview. Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, (laughs) so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, Chad, let's keep it on down to Gainesville. Where Florida, believe it or not, Chad, they're starting spring practice on Thursday. So spring football and the SEC starting before you even know it, man. We're not even 
well, midway here in February, but unfortunate news, Florida has announced there's not going to be any spring game this year. So what they're doing, regular spring practice, 15 practices, instead of the exhibition spring game, they're going to hold an additional scrimmage, which is probably going to help the team, if we're being honest. You know, these spring games are (laughs) – they don't show much for a reason, and, and I, because they're televised, they don't want to give too much away, but uh, that's just kind of where we're at, where we want to make sure we get all the spring practice in, and they're not going to allow fans in, and because the NCAA is pushing back the recruiting date, which is not official yet, but it certainly looks like they're going to do that, you can't have recruits at these things, so you know, at the end of the day, there's just not a whole lot of reason to have them, mm-hmm. so that's unfortunate news, but... To open spring practice, Dan Mullen was asked, you know, the hottest topic there in Gainesville for a couple weeks, is he interested in the NFL? He he got thrown this question twice because he kind of ducked it at first, and then he kind of went into more in depth. And it, this was also interesting. Later in the press where he was asked about his contract, kind of some interesting comments here. So let's kick it over to uh, Dan Mullen. So did you have true interest in going to the NFL? Uh, you know what? I didn't speak. I, di- I didn't interview with any NFL teams uh, this year. So, um, you know, I mean, most of my focus was on uh, getting us back to uh, to Atlanta to uh, get back to the SEC championship game. I hear a lot, a lot of rumors out there, but I didn't speak to anybody. Okay. Uh, hey, can, I, can I chime in, Dan, on that? Because you're not really answering the question. Mm-hmm. You said I didn't interview with any teams, and yeah. I get that. But do you have any interest in leaving college and, and headed to the NFL? It seems to be a real mass exodus there. What about you down the road? Or, oh, with college or football? I, I think what – I'll, I'll address it this way. I think one thing that's really interesting, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what the future of college football is going to hold uh, and what that's going to look like going forward. Um, you know, I love being here at the University of Florida. I think we have a great program. Uh, we have a great fan base, uh, great history, the opportunity to become a championship program every single year. I think that there are concerns with coaches. It's what the future of college football is going to look like, which I think there's a lot of uncertainties to it right now um, of how that's going to shape up. So that might not be completely answering your question, but I think that's probably the fairest way that I think as people look at things and look at the future is um, – you know, what's college football going to look like in three or four years? And I think there's a lot of uncertainty with that, um, that, that we're trying to figure out as coaches right now to see, see what our futures are going to hold. Yeah, if, if Mark doesn't, hopefully I don't have to correct my questions this time. <laughs> um, the, uh, so are you, concerned, are you concerned on any level other coaches maybe flagging the fact you have three years left in your deal and using it? You know, in recruiting, I mean, that that that'd be a have more than that. Yeah, I I don't control that part of it, so I got to worry about what I control. You know, uh, mm-hmm. which is getting the team ready to go for practice on Thursday. So that that can be in uh, in somebody else's press conference. That'd be a good question for them. And then just one other thing: uh, no spring game. What do you think you guys lose by not having that, if anything? Um. I think the biggest benefit of a spring game, I think a couple, well, the benefits of a spring game. One, I think it's like a celebration for the players to go and see all the fans to come out and see new faces and get excited. One, to get and get excited about next year's team, get excited about young players. Um, spring game's a great day, you know, in, in Gainesville, and, and to have the fans get really excited about the next season. 
Um, the other thing you probably lose is some of the pressure. You know, it'll be the first time some of these guys take snaps uh, in front of, you know, a big crowd. I mean, usually the spring game crowd's bigger than any crowd we would have played against last season. And, uh, you know, so to, to go play on that stage, I think, is a big plus. Uh, but beyond that, you know, there's I've always had discussions. I said, you know, there's a lot of things. Sometimes we can get a lot more done in scrimmages than we would in a spring game. So, you know, there's going to be trade off either way. So there's a big benefit that I think in just having a, another uh, adding another scrimmage at the end of spring, um, that there's going to be a big plus uh, to that side of getting some more things accomplished in that scrimmage than you normally would in a spring game, which is kind of a, a little bit more of a uh, an exhibition showcase. All right, Shane. So. Like I said, he tried to duck that at first, but then he kind of gave a more in-depth, insightful response. And, you know, I appreciate Dan Mullen for at least going this far. And, you know, he could have very easily coach speak. I'm Florida for life. You know, no interest in NFL ever, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we get that from a lot of coaches. So I at least give him credit here for, for being a little, I think, more transparent than some others would be. What about that reporter, huh? I, I hear Dan, all right? That may work for Joe down the street, but that ain't going to answer my questions. <laughs> oh, man, they, they, they're throwing the damn fastballs early down there in Gainesville. So uh, I like it, though. I mean, because he, cause he, was, he wasn't completely transparent there at the beginning. And, uh, he, and, and you know that there was reasons that was floating around, and it kind of – at first, you know, I've always thought Dan would do well in the NFL, but clearly no one's ready or willing to give him a shot right now. So then it kind of goes back to, well, maybe this is about money because now we're talking about a three-year contract. Is this being used against you? You, you know it is, and you know the fact that the NFL keeps getting brought up, the fact he doesn't have a long-term contract, these are things that are definitely being used against him in recruiting. So I don't know, just felt like there was a little, and I don't know, animosity there. Maybe, you know, maybe mm -hmm. there's something with, with the, uh, with the athletic director that, you know, they're just not seeing eye to eye right now. So don't be surprised with little comments, little jabs like this, that we don't get some sort of contract resolution here, uh, to, you know, before spring starts. But, um, you know, as far as the NFL, I, I still think he's he's got one foot looking that way. But until somebody gives him a real shot, um, you know, Florida's lucky to have him. Yeah, and those, uh, you know, when he's kind of he's being a little ambiguous there about the, you know, the concerns among college coaches and all that. I think without saying it directly, he's talking about uh, the name name image and likeness yeah. that's coming. And mm -hmm. I think just the uncertainty of that, and maybe to a degree the transfer portal. You know, you know, you always have to recruit your players even when they're on campus now. But uh, you know, there's been reports. I don't know this for a fact, but there's been reports that Urban Meyer. You know, that was a big reason why he said no to Texas because he don't want to deal with this name, image, and likeness and transfer portal and all this. And I know when everything lined up down there for him. Jacksonville, they got the number one pick, and there's a franchise quarterback out there. So that probably played a part as well. But I think this is what he's talking about because, you know, mm -hmm. he's tight with Urban. He probably spoke to him, and and who knows who else he spoke to. But I think this is something that uh, maybe is going to have more coaches like a Dan Mullen eyeing that NFL. Well, 
particularly if they if they don't like how this NIL comes together. Yeah, and after everything that everything he said, that was the one that that really stood out to me is you know, we don't know. We don't know what this is going to look like. And, and if there's coaches that, I mean, hell, if you're already dealing with paying players, it's like we might as well just do it on the NFL level where you don't have to go recruit. You don't have to you don't have to compete with anybody else. You just, if you want them, you pay for them, you write a contract. You know what I'm saying? It just kind of kind of feels like, well, if we're already doing the, the like that's the worst part of the NFL anyway is just trying to balance a, a salary cap. And if we're having to do that now with college, might as well do it on the NFL level if you have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. All right, Shay, let's uh, jump on down to Rocky Top real quick. Because I know you said you didn't give a damn about who the defense coordinator was, but <laughs> here it is. We have a hire, Tim Banks, former co-defensive coordinator for Penn State, which means he did not call the plays for Penn State, but he does have previous coordinating experience. How about this, Shane? I believe he was Butch Jones's <laughs> defensive coordinator at uh, Central Michigan. And then when Butch hired Bob Shoup, from Penn State, mm-hmm. they replaced him with Mr. Tim Beck here. So they had so many vol connections here for their new defensive coordinator. This guy's got a lot of ties to the Midwest, which, you know, one of our listeners pointed out to me, for whatever reason, Josh Heupel, remember he was going after the, the Ohio State guy who's got a lot of Midwest ties. Mm-hmm. Maybe Tennessee trying to, you know, get a footprint there in the Midwest. You'd think there's enough talent in the South. They don't have to fool with that but i don't know there may be nothing to that but that's interesting interesting to think about because hell it seems like there's always elite players in tennessee and and the vols ain't getting them anyway so maybe they're gonna have to go up north to get a couple (laughs) players you know what you ever go to google somebody and then like the first thing that pops up is the white pages and you're like did i spell his name wrong You know, I, I I have no insight on on Mr. Beck here. Uh, I, I'm glad that we finally we closed this chapter. Maybe we could get some more defensive coaches down there before spring cranks up. But you know, this this is a tough job to fill, Mike. This is something you and I have talked about quite a bit. You've got a new regime there in Tennessee. We got sanctions hanging over us. We've got a we've got an offense that plans on running a play every three seconds. I mean, what what defensive coordinator would really want to sign up for that? So uh, I, I'm I'm not surprised that it took this long, but I, I am glad that it is behind us now. And uh, you know, because I really don't think deep, I know that sounds crazy, Mike. I don't think defense is going to matter at the University of Tennessee right now. Now I, I think it's going to help to you know, slow down the opposing team or, you know, have a couple of breaks go our way. That that would definitely help out. But don't expect us to lead the SEC in, in defensive statistics, you know? Mm-hmm. And last thing here on Beck, he's making – he got a three-year deal. He's going to make $1.4 million annually. He's going to be one of the highest-paid coordinators in the SEC <laughs> and the nation here. So it costs Tennessee a damn – ton of money just to get him to come down here now it's tim beck right yes sir okay is he related to this north carolina state tim beck offensive coordinator i see i really have no idea who this guy is oh wait here we are tim beck leaving ohio state is that the same one 
No. Oh no, I'm sorry, Tim Banks. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, solid hire there, Mike. You got a solid hire. <laughs> I was like, man, that ain't. I mean, I'm even put Tennessee Vols, you know, in my Google search, and it is not popping up anything. So I, I don't know much about Mr. Banks, but um, I'll, I'll get, I'll learn there. his name by the next show. I promise. Now I did, I did have somebody ask me, um, and I don't know if he wanted me to tell him who it was, but he was asking, you know, something kind of same long, along the same lines that you are. You know, it's just an interesting hire, just from, I guess, the recruiting standpoint, uh, where he's been. Now, where he's been recruiting, and uh, it's just a, a, an area that Tennessee really hasn't tapped into. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious if if that had something to do with it as well. But I don't know. I'm just happy we got somebody. If it hurts James Franklin, it's all right by me. <laughs> all right, let's skip it all down to Nashville. Take it down. Where hey, we're gonna get to our interview here real quick with Chris Lee. But uh, you know, Clark Lee. The new Vanderbilt head coach, no relation, of course, but uh, you know we haven't had a lot of opportunities to hear from the coach. So, and he's been kind of on a little bit of a media tour here. I really wanted to play these two clips from one from the Jim Rome show he was on this week, and also the Paul Feinbaum show he was on the Feinbaum show last week. And you know his stock, I'm starting to really buy into this Clark Lee. I think it's a good hire for Vanderbilt. I think on the back end of that. You know, you. I, I felt like I was. Now I have two children. Now I'm. Now I'm going from you know choosing my way out to being like shut out of the profession. And and I, those were low moments too, man. Where I had to lean on the people who supported me. And one of those people is actually our was our team chaplain, uh, Lance Brown, brother Brown, who's still here, who's who's become such a um, you know. It's been a, a neat part of this thing coming full circle as he's advised me in this role, you know, and been, been here for me in, the, in, in my role now. But, um, you know, that was a moment in my career at, at, the, at the back end of the Syracuse time where I felt like um, hey, that was about as low as I've ever felt. And, you know, it, and I think I got knocked all the way down to the floor. In fact, I know I did. And it just – it took some time to pull myself off the mat. And I was fortunate enough to, to keep swinging. I got another job with Dave Clawson. He, he gave me another chance. And – you know, it, it's funny because that was 2016, man, and I'm, it's 2021. So five years ago, I was at this point of you know brokenness in my career. Uh, to, to five years later, you know, to be at a point of um, not, certainly not at the peak of the mountain. Like I'm, I just is just a, a point on the climb, you know. But but what it tells me, what it informs me, is that things change really quickly. And at any given moment, you know, you're not, it's a glimpse of where you are, but not who you are. And I think it's important that we just continue on this journey and continue to swing and continue to fight for the things that we know to be, and continue to look for ways to evolve personally too, um, so that ultimately we, we run the race the way we need to run it. Talking to Clark Lee, the new coach at Vanderbilt. Coach, it, it, I've heard Vanderbilt coaches in the past talk about the challenges and there's a lot of enthusiasm, and at some point the reality uh, hits uh, of some of the things that you just got through mentioning. So the obvious question here is now about you leaning on what you already know. You, you play football there. Uh, you understand it. What, what does that give you uh, maybe that, that helps you jump over a few blocks that others have been unable to get through? Well, the way I think the way you approach, you know, again, we, we are the outlier in the league. I mean, we, we're unique in every 
single aspect and I think it's very easy it's just it's just the attitude you want to bring to it it's very easy to look at that and see negatives but we choose to see it as an incredible positive and when I mention this being a strategic decision for me I think framing it that way um, you know look the opportunity to recruit high, high level high reaching high achieving young people um, that, that are going to be looking for a reason not to compromise they're going to be looking for something of substance you know, we want to drive an environment here where football is as important as school, and we don't back down from that. I mean, this is not about um, coming to a program just to get the education. We believe our program's in education, too. And so we want, we want to find that person that wants to play in the NFL, that wants to get an excellent education, that wants to be grown in an environment where they're going to be built into but also challenged at a high level. And we feel like that person um, produces winning football, winning results on the field. Um, and, and then again, for me, once you get a staff in place that embraces all those unique aspects, you, you really have a, you have a totally different outlook on what's possible here. And, and um, you know, part, part of my experience at Notre Dame, part of my experience at Wake Forest, I mean, I, you know, I saw programs built around the, the same principles. And obviously, each, each program's unique in and of itself. Um, you know, if you put a five-hour radius around this campus, if you look at the, the population growth in Middle Tennessee, um, and, and the way this city has taken off, we feel like we have a recruiting niche here that's, that's just waiting to get tapped into. And, and so once, the, once we get um, the, the go-ahead to get out on the road and, and start allowing our personalities in our office space to interact with, with uh, coaches and, and prospects within this footprint, we think we can have a lot of success recruiting. All right, Shane, so there you have it from Coach Lee. Like I said, I just wanted to play some clips from him just because we haven't heard a, a ton from this guy since he came aboard here in uh... – late December with the Commodores. But uh, like I said, man, I'm starting to buy in more and more. And maybe maybe our interview here with Chris Lee kind of had me buying in a little bit more too. You know what? Yeah, for sure, man. And, and you know, I, I just love the idea that you got a coach that has, you know, because Vanderbilt's had coaches come through. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we just joked about James Franklin. It just, there's, I like that there's ties. I like that there's, you know, this is more than just a job for him. This maybe not a dream job, but definitely, I mean, if you if you're if you're to pick a, a an ideal situation, it'd be to coach where you played. So, I I just like that. I just think it means more, and uh, you see that with some of the hires that they've made, and and uh, I'm sure you're going to get, you know, with that in the interview here. But uh, I just thought I, I think the future's bright with with Vandy and I know it sounds crazy but there were some little pieces last year that really I mean we talk about the law firm we talk about the quarterback play these guys were extremely young and were playing better than uh, anyone expected especially with them COVID numbers so you know got to be careful man you can't sleep on Vandy if they get their shit together they 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 could pop up I mean they could be one of those programs that any given Saturday they they take advantage of you all right, Shane, so let's jump to our interview here with Chris Lee, the publisher of VandySports.com. Okay, I want to say uh, thanks to our guest here, Chris Lee. Of course, all Vanderbilt fans know that name. He's the publisher of VandySports.com, and he's the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. You got to subscribe to it. That's how I get all my Vanderbilt news. And he's also got a new podcast out there. It's called The Southeastern 14 Chris Lee, thanks for joining me so much. I really do appreciate you. You bet. It's always good to be on with you. Yeah, and you wouldn't believe how many Vanderbilt fans that we have on our podcast that say, you know, no one gives a, enough 
attention to the Vanderbilt Commodore. So we always try to give attention to, we've had you on the show. We've had uh, Bruno Reagan, who I got introduced through the Vandy Sports Podcast. He's outstanding. So mm-hmm. want to give some love to Vanderbilt, unlike a lot of other SEC podcasts. And I want to start, you know, most of the, I really want to hit on Clark Lee and his coaching staff, but I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on coach Derek Mason landing at Auburn. And uh, what do you think about the fit there of, of him running Brian Harson's defense? You know, I think it's a fairly good hire for them. A lot of people are going to judge Derek Mason by his head coaching tenure, right? And that's way different than being a coordinator, being a head coach is in a lot of ways, a different skill set. And I always thought that the requirements and responsibilities of that were not Derek's strong suits. I don't think he's a bad coach, but being a head coach is as much being a CEO as it is being a football coach, right? And I think Derek is a football coach uh, who's not a CEO, if that makes sense. In other words, you look at what he did defensively in other places like at Stanford, his defenses performed pretty well, but when it becomes managing an entire program and handling scholarships and PR and, and press conferences and all the things that go that, that's when it started to fall out of his wheelhouse. But if you just let Derek stick to X's and O's and running a defense, I think there's been times where he's done pretty well at that. And you look at Vanderbilt, his first year, he fired his defensive coordinator and he took over as his own defensive coordinator. And for the next two years, with James Franklin's talent, he had pretty successful defenses. Now, when it was up to him, again, to be the CEO of the program and he's running the recruiting and all that, uh, that's when the results fell off markedly. And by that time, he had replaced himself. But my point is, you put Derek in a spot where he's got talent and he's not having to be a head coach and he's had a track record to do well And the other thing that I would say is Auburn has run a lot of three, four throughout the years. Derek always wanted to run that at Vanderbilt. I thought it was a decision that he stuck to too stubbornly. Didn't work out so well at the end in particular at Auburn. You can recruit players to a three, four traditionally Auburn's had some tremendous defensive linemen. And I think in that environment where he's not having to be a head coach, where it's a place where they can get talent and they can, get three, four defensive linemen, assuming that's what Harson's going to run. I think it's potentially a pretty good fit for them. All right. One other thing before we get to uh, Coach Lee's coaching staff, you know, Vanderbilt, for the most part, took care of business in the the, the latest recruiting class, despite the fact that uh, Coach Mason was let go. And I can't remember the timeline exactly, but I don't know if Clark Lee was even in place or maybe he was still running Notre Dame's, you know, defense before you know, while these guys were signing during the early signing period. But what does that say about this class that, uh, you know, you didn't just didn't really have a ton of guys wavering following, you know, Derek Mason's dismissal there in Nashville? Michael, that was a real surprise because it's hard to recruit at Vanderbilt anyway. It's doubly hard to recruit when you're coming off an awful couple of years and then throwing a coaching change. And, I mean, there was everything there that suggested that class could fall apart, right, under normal circumstances. On top of that, throw in the fact that, as you asked, they did have a gap between when they fired Mason, which was after the Missouri game. And I think, uh, don't hold me to it, but I want to say that Clark Lee was hired maybe the 14th of December, so you had 
what a month with the vacancy and, and give Javon Hay a lot of credit, their defensive line coach for keeping a lot of that class together, but for it not only to fall apart and look, it's one thing if the class falls apart because their kids, nobody else wanted. Right. But these are players that had other sec offers. I can't remember their final rivals rank, but it was around 30, give or take a place or two. I think their class under all those circumstances it was really remarkable what they kept together. I'm sure Clark Lee deserves a lot of credit, but I think Javon Hay for sure certainly deserves credit because he's a bridge from that old staff to the new one. He works very hard, and I think it just, again, was remarkable for them to do that under the conditions they did it. So among those additions, are, are you, there any players that you maybe single out, one or two that you see as making you know, an impact immediately under Clark Lee? And, uh, you know, what's the latest on the Temple transfer? I hope I'm getting his name right. Ramon Davis? Yeah, I mean, I think you start with transfers, right? Ramon Davis had a really nice career at Temple. You saw last year Keon Brooks had to take on a heavier load than he probably should have. And you saw him get hurt. And that's dangerous for a running back. Even when you're 230 or 40 pounds, Taking a 30 to 35 touch load in the SEC is a recipe for disaster. Keon Henry Brooks is nowhere near that. So I think getting another capable back was a good addition for them. You know, man, I have, but when I've been asked, who are your impact freshmen before? I have, I have done a total face plan on that question before. <laughs> so, you know, like I would have sworn Alston Orgy a couple of years ago, they needed a linebacker. He'd been a top 100 recruit at one time. He was a big-time player at a 5A level in Texas. I mean, all the recipes for success, right? Well, that kid's been a non-factor in three years. So, having said that, I look more position groups. They signed a nice class of defensive linemen. I think you got a shot that maybe one of those kids steps forward out of that group. Uh, that would be my first guess. Although they've got some defensive linemen with potential. That was a really disappointing group last year. Outside, outside of Dio Adingbo and Andre Mincy, who both graduated. So I think that's an area where guys will have a chance to step up, and that was maybe the strongest area of their class. All right, so obviously Vanderbilt, you've been covering the program for a long time. We've got an AD that's a graduate that played at the school. Now we got a head coach, also played at the school. Do you get any kind of sense that, uh, you know, maybe we've got finally got some stability and, and something to build on and just maybe a re, maybe like a renewed sense of it's a new era for real this time at Vanderbilt? You hope so, right? I mean, goodness gracious, this was one of the most stable programs in the Power Five across the, the three major sports or the four major sports, if you include women's basketball, for the longest time and just four or five years ago, that really started changing, right? With the dismissal of Kevin Stallings, uh, you know, you've had a football coach change, been through what, three ADs in, in two years at this point. So it's been rather crazy. But I think with Clark Lee, he's a guy who has coached a lot of places. He's been at some other Power Five stops. He has become good friends with Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt's baseball coach. That is an outstanding start when it comes towards knowing the necessities, the, the tricks of coaching, the tricks of operating at Vanderbilt. Clark's a pretty mature guy. I think he's a thoughtful guy. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to be here for the long haul. I don't think that Clark is a guy who is going to, 
you know, take off in a couple of years for let's just name a random power five job, Kansas state or Iowa state or, or Baylor or, or North Carolina or something like that. If he has some success, I think being an alum and being from here probably makes it a little more likely that he'll stay in a look. If, if Notre Dame or a big time job comes calling, it gets to be that big. Maybe it's a different game, but yeah, I would say that you can never guess how these things pan out, but I think in terms of, what you might think, I think Clark would have been one of the more stable hires they probably could have made, given the circumstances that you mentioned. Now, it's taken him a little while, but he's finally got his full coaching staff assembled here. And a lot of names here, i got to be honest with, not very familiar with. So, you know, I'm not going to ask you to sit here and break down each one individually or anything. But one thing that's really struck me is just the NFL influence. I mean, the, both coordinators come from the NFL. Uh, just what are your thoughts on this coaching staff overall? And, and is there one hire maybe among the, the 10 full-time staff members that, that really, you know, catches your eye as maybe the best hire based on just what we know up to this point? Well, let's start with the NFL angle, which you mentioned. I think that makes it really hard to predict because a lot of these guys have not recruited at a college level or, not in a while or, or not for long stretches that makes some more difficult evaluations, you know, coordinators who came out of the NFL, that was not something I was expecting either. Um, I, I think that when the one thing that I hate to say red flag, right? Because I, I think Clark Lee took his time and did an inordinate amount of preparation. And, and so Clark may know some things we don't, I, I wouldn't rule that out, but it did strike me as odd that he didn't bring in a coordinator, say, from another college program, although Jesse Minter, I think, had done that at Georgia State, especially on the offensive side, where David Rye, I guess, has not called plays before. Now, he's been an assistant, I think, at Texas Tech and, and had a support staff position at UCLA, so it's not like he hasn't been at that level. But I was a little surprised when you coupled that with the first-year head coach. I mean, that's – it's a lot to bite off, right, in terms of, of game day experience. But, again, he did do his homework, I think, on these things. You know, I think the two that stuck out to me, Michael, Anoki Brechterfield, who had been the defensive line coach at Wisconsin, which has fielded some really good defenses over the years. Uh, on paper, that seems to be a good get. Uh, the, the other one, we don't talk about special teams coaches a lot, but Justin Lustig from Syracuse, I thought was an outstanding hire. I've talked to some analytics people who were able to kind of isolate uh, special team stats and things like that and, and use that to emphasize coaching impact. And, and I talked to somebody in the industry, and his opinion was Lustig is probably one of the top two or three special teams coaches in the country. So to be able to bring a guy like that to your staff when you're first-year head coach, uh, a guy that I think could have gotten a job a lot of places – that, to me, is maybe the one that stands out. Now, I do want to ask you about Barton Simmons in just a moment here, just on his role there and, and thoughts on that. But I did catch an interview with him. I believe it was on uh, Braden Gall's show. And one thing, in addition to these uh, coordinators coming from the NFL, you know, he really kind of emphasized the fact that here at Vanderbilt, we want guys that their dream is to play in the NFL. And... You know, it's one thing to say that, but then here you go and hire these NFL coaches, and I'm starting to see some of the scholarship offers that are going out by this Vanderbilt staff. I mean, these are guys that, 
you know, some of these players have offers from, you know, the who's who of college football. So in my mind, it's clear that Vanderbilt staff's not backing down from anybody. So uh, I don't know, just what are your thoughts on, you know, the, the NFL influence that uh, Clark Lee's program is going to have moving forward? Well, I think it's good to hear a coach who aims there. I mean, Vanderbilt, let's let's face it, has had some players that's put in the NFL who have had some success recently. Jay Cutler had a long career as an NFL starting quarterback, uh, which I know Cutler was never more than probably an average quarterback, but go look at how many guys who get drafted who play as long as he does and keeps a job. I mean, and that was an accomplishment. You've got Zach Cunningham who led the league in tackles. I think you've got something that you can sell there to kids that you can make the league no they're not putting players in volume that the rest of the league is right and but it's the same they've got a degree in a city that nobody else can offer and those are selling points but but the thing is these kids who play in the nfl they want to win right and i've seen vanderbilt finish second or third for many a kid who who went on to an alabama or, or a bigger place uh who we're in families where academics were valued, but at the end of the day, kids don't want to get their hats handed to them on the football field. Um, I think they've got a lot to sell, but you've got to start winning games and getting competitive and getting to that stage where you're getting to bowls and then maybe finishing in the top 25 like James Franklin did. If he can do that, I think that boosts their recruiting because they've got a lot to sell but if you're not winning games that negates a lot of your advantages so to me that's a script that Clark Lee has got a chance to to flip within a few years if things go well so I hit on Barton Simmons there that was an eye-raising hire there I mean obvious connection there to Clark Lee and this is a guy that's well respected in the media in the recruiting world in and around Nashville but as I understand it, Vanderbilt now is there's only one other team in the SEC that's got a GM, and that's LSU. And now Vanderbilt becomes the second to to have that in Barton Simmons. So, you know, to me, this signals that Vanderbilt's doing something different, and I like that because I think they got to do something different to be successful. But just what are your thoughts on, you know, Clark Lee making that splash move, if you want to call it that, and and bringing in Barton Simmons, who, like I said, well respected, but. Uh, never held this type of role before. What do you think he'll bring to the Vanderbilt program? I think he brings several things. I mean, first of all, he brings some recognition and some publicity for some good reasons, which they need. Secondly, he's been in the media, right? And, and I think that helps a coach and a staff in terms of perception and communication. And I mean, I think there's all kinds of things that he could add to that staff that Derek Mason, frankly, lacked. Uh, in issues of awareness and communications and things. I think it's always good to have a guy on your staff who has been in the media and know how that operates. Uh, maybe it's a little bit overrated, but it doesn't hurt. I think the big thing, though, Michael, you look at some of the kids that Vanderbilt has put in the league, and Cutler's a good one. Cutler, I think, had one offer from Illinois in terms of major Division One programs, and that was as a safety. Jordan Matthews didn't have anything outside Vanderbilt. And, and those are needles in a haystack that they found, right? You can't count on finding one or two of those every year. But a guy like Clark Lee, who does he know? He's going to know seven-on-seven seven coaches. He's going to know high school coaches. So he's got an in with relationships uh, across the country that, that helps him. He's also got an eye for talent. I mean, Clark – or not Clark. Um, Barton did a pretty good job, especially in terms of receivers – at identifying some kids who ended up being more successful 
than the recruiting market thought they would be. So I think for Vanderbilt, are they going to go in and win recruiting battles with LSU and, and Alabama on kids those schools really want? 99% of the time, and that may be conservative, they're not, right? Not at this point for sure. But if you can find a, a high three-star kid or, or maybe a two-star kid that nobody's found and, and find five or six of those every class where they overachieve what the ranking is and, and you can put together a roster of about 50 players in this league who can, can really play. And frankly, I think that's the key that James Franklin had. You go back and look at his teams, and they weren't star-studded rosters where you're looking at it and going, NFL player I know, NFL player I know, and, and running down the roster seven or eight years later and, and saying these guys went on to be all pros and stuff. No, that's not realistic right now. But what James did was identify players who could play, who were depth pieces. Um, you know, and some of those kids were recruiting battles against some other teams in the league that they won. So I think if you can step up your recruiting a little bit and also identify some guys that you're higher on than the coaching profession and the recruiting world as a whole, that's been shown as a key to success. If you could build a roster of 45 or 50 guys who can help you on Saturday. And I think that's probably where Barton Simmons helps him the most. Now, do you have a, you may not have this number on hand or anything, but uh, just a overview of uh, what does Vanderbilt's scholarship numbers look like after they've had, I think they had about 15 players leave the portal in the last year or so. So um, where are they at in terms of the 85? Are they anywhere close to that number heading into 2021? I think they're almost right at it, which is astonishing uh, because they did have a lot of players hit the portal. They have a lot of players, quote unquote, opt out <laughs> late in the season. Uh, frankly, that was they just had enough and were done with the season. Uh, it wasn't a COVID concern. But, uh, you know, now how many of those kids could play? I don't know. But they signed a full class. They got some transfers. And I think they are maybe right at that 85 number or a couple down. I have asked for some roster clarification from them. I don't think they're ready to hand that out yet. Uh, but from what we have been told, it sounds like they're going to be really close to that 85 market. You might want to be a couple under it uh, with some transfers coming on the market this spring and everything. But I would not have thought when the season ended that they would be nearly as close to that 85 scholarship number is they're probably going to end up. In fact, I referred to it at some points is they're looking at self-imposed probation. Because if you have a bunch of kids leave and, and you start with, you know, say 45 or 50 scholarship players, well, there's limits on how you can, how many you can sign. Seems like this staff has done a good job of keeping a cohesive roster and bringing some of those players back into the fold uh, where I thought it really had a chance to fall apart on them if they didn't play their cards well. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen that uh, Vanderbilt looks like they're upgrading the locker rooms. And when, when Clark Lee got introduced, you know, he was asked about the facilities and all this. And, you know, a lot of coaches like to make that as, as an excuse or, you know, maybe some something they demand. At least publicly, he said, I, if I recall, he, I ba he basically said that's not an issue for me at this point. So I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that locker room upgrade and uh, if there are any other renovations coming to the facility or, or even the stadium that you're aware of. Well, the locker room upgrade, I think, is maybe a three, four million dollar project, which is not as much as the one they had originally planned, but it's much needed. That's what's public right now. 
Uh, some people I have spoken to believe that they will announce some improvements, some major improvements within about a month, maybe by the 1st of April. That will include probably a football-only building in the closed-end zone, uh, some stuff in the open-end zone, probably some gradual stadium renovations and some stuff for basketball. Uh, you know, the, the price tag on it, I think, is, is in the nine figures. We'll see exactly where they settle. Look, Michael, you, you, you know this as well as I do. We have seen so many promises made and broken, and they have not made a lot of specific promises. We'll see how they follow through. I think the difference this time is they have the support of the chancellor and a lot of the board of trust, and that's always key towards getting progress at a place where progress has been, I think, easy is too, too generous for term. It's been almost impossible at times, but I think this spring will be big if those facilities announcements come, I think that signals a pretty significant change in operating environment and philosophy by the school. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have a, not that I'm aware of, I've not seen spring practice dates announced. Do you know when that's going to start? And, and uh, what, what are the big storylines you're looking for for this Vanderbilt team? I know mean, there's a lot of questions, but what's the one or two big ones on your mind heading into spring? No, Michael, they've not announced anything. And I think the holdup is what you'd guess. It's COVID and protocols and that kind of stuff. And, and not to mention, if I'm Clark Lee, I probably want to start as late as I can because you're bringing on new staff members and they've got to get acclimated. They got to get their families moved and get familiar with working with each other and, and deciding on philosophies. So I think those are two big things. I mean, storylines all over the place. I mean, this is the team that went 0-9 and would have been 0-10 had it played Georgia. So, I mean, I, I think the unknowns are more than the knowns. I, I think one of the knowns is you've got a quarterback that you can build around and Ken Seals. Uh, maybe some receivers with Chris Pierce and Cam Johnson back. Uh, you, you've got some tight ends that have shown some things at times. But you know, the one thing that was unstable last year was that offensive line. They had four opt-outs before things even started. I think all four of those kids would have played. I think three of them are probably going to be back. So you get a lot of guys who got experience last year who wouldn't have otherwise. And now you may see the guys who would have started in front of some of those guys come back. I think that helps a lot. So I want to see cohesiveness on the offensive line with what I think uh, – man, is it a, a, a third new offensive line coach in three years? Yeah, that's the case now that I think about it. So a lot there. Defensively, man, they couldn't cover anybody last year. I mean, their secondary was awful. I want to see if this was just a case of, you know, like when something spoils in your fridge, the whole thing stinks, right? And, and, uh, and it overshadows everything. I want to see if they've actually got some kids in the secondary who can play a little bit or that was just a case of when a lot of stuff went bad, it all went bad. But to me, they've got to get better play on the back seven. Their defensive line was a disappointment outside those two graduated players. I want to see if their line is as good as we thought it could be, which wasn't going to be a good SEC line, but I think Vanderbilt was going to close the gap with more talented bodies than they normally have. That didn't really materialize. I think the whole defense, in my mind, is a storyline. All right, final question for you, Chris. I mean, you just ran the gauntlet there. So many questions, but one guy you hit on, Ken Seals. How much promise does that give the fan base and even this coaching staff that I know they got a 
ton of heavy lifting to do. And there's, there's a lot of work to be done to make Vanderbilt just a competitive team in the SEC. But I don't want to say easy, but maybe how much does that, you know, give motivation for Vanderbilt knowing that you maybe have one of the best quarterbacks in the entire SEC return. And heck, he's got three years to play. Well, or maybe four, right, right, right under right. the circumstances, uh, you know, depending on where the pro stock is in a few years. But, yeah, I mean, look, that's the one piece that's been hard to find a lot of places, and especially for them. Um, you know, having a guy who can start three or four years at Vandy, we haven't seen that, I guess, since Jay Cutler. And, and frankly, Ken was better as a true freshman than Jay was as a redshirt freshman. I know Jay had some talents in terms of arm strength and, and some ability that Ken doesn't have. But in terms of being a college quarterback, I thought Ken was a whole lot more polished right away. He had a terrible supporting cast. His offensive line really broke down, and I think that changed a lot of things as it sort of imploded on them at year's end. But again, if you can fix that offensive line with some parts you didn't have a year ago with a lot more experience coming in, I think that's a huge plus. Once you do that, that sets up a lot of other things. We talked about them adding another running back. Um, having a, a better running game is going to help your quarterback. I just think that he's got a lot of talent. And you saw them last year before the Sarah Fuller stunt blew up the team. They had four games of 400 yards straight or more on total offense heading into that Missouri game. Now, they didn't even get in field goal range in that game, and they got shut out 41 to nothing. But they'd not put up four straight with over 400 yards of total offense since Cutler had been there. Uh, I thought doing that with the severe lack of talent in the line troubles they had last year was a tremendous accomplishment. Again, I put a lot of the credit on Ken Seals, and I look at what he comes back into. They don't lose much of anything of substance on the offense at all. I mean, they did lose Grant Miller to Baylor, who transferred out, who was probably their best offensive lineman on last year's team. Uh, I think Grant would have really helped them out having an experienced center. But other than that, they didn't lose a whole lot of value. And I think another year of experience uh, with him, with the parts around him getting better. And, oh, by the way, he's a leader and, and a really good one and a mature kid. That always helps. I just think uh, that's a really good foundation. And if the parts around him get better, it'll be interesting to see the kind of leap they could take this year. All right, he's Chris Lee, once again, the publisher of Vandy Sports and the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast and the Southeastern 14, Braven, this Nashville snowpocalypse. He even broke out the, the big guns, the big mic for this interview. So thanks, Chris. I really do appreciate you hopping on with us here. And, uh, and it's always great to get some outstanding Vanderbilt knowledge from you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to say thanks again to Chris for hopping on. You can give him a follow at Chris Lee 70 for all your Vanderbilt insight. I've included a link to that in the show notes as well as uh, links to both his podcasts. They're the Vandy Sports Podcast and the Southeastern 14. I really appreciate him hopping on and, and giving us some Vandy knowledge. You know what? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's what we pride ourselves in is hitting all 14 teams, so... Uh, I think this was awesome. I, I really like that you're bouncing around, getting some in-depth, behind-the-scenes looks at these programs, Mike. Appreciate your effort. And uh, this was just another fantastic interview, man. 
Yes, sir. Well, hey, buddy. That's all I got. You got anything before we hop off here? No, see, I don't do any work, Mike. When we get done here, I'm going to jump off and I'm going to watch my Wheel of Fortune in Jeopardy because it's that time. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> I'm getting old, man. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, I, I know about 10% of the answers on Jeopardy. But, man, when you get one, buddy. Everybody in the living room looking at you like you're a genius. <laughs> well, that's a good note to go out on. If you made it this far, don't forget, leave us that five-star written review in the Apple Podcast app. We've had a couple of koozie requests. We send those out to each and every one of you just for leaving that five-star written review. We, that's just our little way of saying thanks to each and every one of you. But that's going to do it, Shane. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. What, is that Gus calling right now? <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. We're just trying to do a damn podcast here. But... <laughs> do you want me to do that one over? No, I mean, it's up to you, man. Uh, uh, do you want to do it over? Nah, we can roll no, with go, it. Go ahead. Shit. You're, you're snowed in, Mike. You know? I mean, <laughs> it could. we have to have our phones on. It could be somebody that needs you. <laughs> Uh, no, Mike, this is... This.